The car business is changing faster than ever, and now is the time for dealers and allied industry professionals to get ahead. Together, we'll explore practical ways to help your dealership thrive or get the best results from your account through leadership process and implementation. I'm Becky Chernick, and this is Make Your F&I Profits Stick. Jim Lawrence, welcome to Make Your F&I Profits Stick. And it's certainly a pleasure to have you on this afternoon today. And to get things started for our dealers and listeners, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about this Graham-Leach-Bliley Act and what dealers need to be aware of. What's going on with that, Jim? Well, um, well, number one, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, Becky, and um, just want to say thanks for that. And uh, I think that um, we should probably take a look at the nature of the, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act and how the FTC is treating it with respect to the, the uh, latest changes. Um, so, you know, everybody's been living and breathing the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act through the FTC safeguards rule for the last 20-odd years, right? Um, and so you've got the, uh, the nature of that kind of ingrained in the cultures of, all, you know, all the dealerships in the country. And it's taken a long time to get at that point because, as you know, getting folks to train consistently and that kind of thing is always a challenge because they're always busy. That's just the nature of that beast. And so um, what you have now is a pretty significant, in fact, I would consider a massive change um, with, uh, with respect to the safeguards rule and some of the requirements that are coming down the pike for dealers. So for the last 20 odd years, you've had interesting verbiage in the, the, the FTC's <clears throat> information itself. So for example, you, you must have locked file cabinets, right? <laughs> you shouldn't leave um, you know, personally identifiable information in the printers. You know, that's kind of, it harkens back to a time when things were much more um, hands-on and, you know, paper-based versus what we're fa facing today, which, you know, is a good thing because um, the technology that has enabled a more of a digital um, retailing type of process, and a, not digital retailing in today's sort of sense, but also the fact that you've got uh, people for coming in for service, dealing with warranty issues, going on and, and uh, having you know accessories that they're purchasing for the vehicle. All of that is data driven, and that data is now essentially being uh, copied and saved in multiple databases across this ecosystem that has emerged in the dealership infrastructure, IT infrastructure. So um, what has happened? in this process is that the databases are sort of becoming much more than just the gas that keeps the processes moving. They're becoming the source of significant problems should a hacker get into your system. So if you can imagine you've got black hat hackers out there testing all sorts of perimeter defenses when they go into um, in, in the automotive space in particular, because for years auto automotive is thought of security by obscurity, which is really just a way of, of saying, I hope I can ignore this another year <laughs> and, and <laughs> right. just do what I do. Right. Um, and so what's happened is that now because of all of the uh, attempts at data breaches, at the attempts at phishing exercises against your employees, the attempts to take over and control and encrypt 
your data, you know, from a ransomware perspective, um, all of those activities are exploding. And according to the FBI statistics, for example, in 2022, they estimate that there's going to be a ransomware attack every two seconds. Wow. And that's, you know, and it used to be last year, it was every 11 seconds. So if you've got a sense, you know, you, hopefully you're getting a sense of some of the threats that are coming down the pike. Uh, and part of the reason those threats are now kind of writ large and becoming a, a significant source of, um, of, let's say, required activity is because of the FTC's new safeguards rules. And so, for example, some of the rules, well, there, you know, it's a 145-page document. There are about a, a dozen different rules that have changed. Um, but some of the bigger ones that are occurring, that have occurred, um, is, for example, taking a data inventory. Now, if you're a dealership and you've got multiple dealer service providers, so it's, you know, using the holiday season, imagine a Christmas tree, which is sort of the core DMS, right? The dealer management system. Now, everybody and their brother in the dealer, dealer services space is attached to that Christmas tree like a bulb, right? Uh, and each of those bulbs is sharing data back and forth, um, you know, appending the, data, the core database and the DMS expanding the core database at the CRM level, for example. Um, because of this ever-expanding network of databases that are shared across multiple dealer service providers, you're seeing a massive amount of liability occurring in inuring to the dealership itself. So, you know, imagine before you were just responsible for the data on your own DMS. Well, right. now... Now, because of the expanding nature of all of that, you're now responsible for checking on the security, the cybersecurity of your third-party um, application providers, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's because of the, the, the data inventory that you have to take has to be comprehensive. It has to cross all of those moments, the, all of those databases that you're responsible for. And then one of the things that, um, that is really concerning from, from you know, our perspective, and that is how do you get a dealer to not only jump that particular fence to get to their CRM provider or some other third-party provider, but also how are they using the data that you're giving them? Are they selling it to a consultant out there or a data aggregator? Is that something that's in your agreement? Because there's the other piece. Imagine all of these thousands and thousands of agreements that are currently out there that don't speak to this particular issue, but is in fact going to be a requirement in coming out of the FTC rules. So you're going to have to essentially renegotiate your, your or at least re-sign a new agreement that incorporates elements of the FTC's requirements across your dealership third parties and you have to kind of create a barrier to them turning around and selling it or sharing it with consultants and other third parties that frankly aren't on your average dealer's radar screen, right? They're not thinking about that. No. They're thinking about the CRM and what's going on in there. Or they're thinking about their warranty and what's going on in there or their service CRM, right? So they have some real, how do I say, the limitations in terms of the visibility and the things they really give a darn about. And that's going to be something that I think is going to bite them squarely on the butt when these aggregators who are receiving this data from multiple players are suddenly sort of revealed in, in this process of renegotiating or re-signing contracts that now have to reflect all of the new requirements coming out of the FTC. So, um, you know, there, that's in the, that's the a, list. That's a lot, that's a lot happening right there. So, 
Let me right. ask you this, Jim. In in what you're hearing now in the industry, how many dealers are up to speed on this? Are really <sighs> having a bet, have a so, good understanding as to what's taking place here? Yeah, that's a very good question. And actually, I just sat through a legal webinar with about I don't know two three hundred. Um, uh, compliance professionals mm -hmm. and roughly 92% of these compliance professionals, this is their life's blood, right? This is what they do day in, day out. They said that they are not ready for the new safeguards rules, 92%. Um, now, that's a scary thought when you think that these are folks that are not in, they're, they're across not only automotive, but also finance and multiple other industry verticals. Well, if 92% of the, of the, let's say, average uh, compliance professional is not ready for the new FTC rules, I can't imagine the level of, read, um, of readiness at the average dealership. Um, so it's, it's going to be, a, like I said, a serious challenge because of all of the changes in processes and the nature of your, the way you do business with everybody that you're currently doing you know, business with. You know, and so folks like you know, major players like Cox or Reynolds, they're really going to have to kind of buck up on their customer service and, and account management because they're going to be hammered with thousands of requests to review documents and make sure that there's protections in place that reflect the new FTC rules. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, let's say, challenging and daunting task ahead of us. And it's going to, be, it's going to take years for this to to really become a part of our culture, much like it took years for the original GLBA uh, and FTC rules to, to become a part of our culture. And that's all about training. So it's uh, pretty big. Well, um, especially when it comes to training all of this, yes. because we're talking not so much, well, first of all, identifying who maybe our potential threat may be as far as a third party, that's one thing but really identifying some of the issues that we have in the dealership mm -hmm. and training oh. on that whole thing. I agree. It's, I agree. Yeah. And that and training, as you know, is, is a challenge. You've got a, so dealerships suffer some of the highest turnover in, in any vertical industry. Um, you're seeing all sorts of, uh, of, of attempts to kind of minimize and automate a lot of the communications process, which again, captures data <laughs> right? There's a lot of new players in that particular area, the communications area. Well, now those players suddenly have the liability um, sort of spreading from, you know, from them specifically and managing and protecting that data back to the dealership who's doing business with them. So um, the training piece is going to be the biggest challenge. And, you know, sad to say, uh, well in excess of 90% uh, of the fishing, successful fishing exercises, right, where that's pH fishing, that, that where they're sending a link with some kind of executable to a given employee or all the employees because they figured out a, you know, when, when a black hat hacker does a drive-by of your primary URL and then suddenly he sees an open port then, you know, basically he's rocking and rolling to, uh, to get in there, uh, figure out what the email situation is. Then he does a little social engineering, ask, okay, who's the general manager at this location? Uh, Bob? Oh, you mean Steve, you know, Steve Smith or whatever. And then he uh, or she uh, uh, puts together an email blast 
uh, that is in uh, on the top of it says, uh, you know, hey, this is Steve, the GM. I'd like you to take a look at this and tell me what you think. Well, you're not going to stop and look at the email as quickly as you might have in the past or at all. And you assume that it's coming, you know, from your, to your GM. You click on the link and that thing, it's like a, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, malware that digs into your system like there's no tomorrow. So it hides, number one, it hides for the next you know eight to 12 months on average. During that period of time, it's sending out status reports to the original hacker. And, it's in, and as it goes through that, it's sniffing and categorizing your network and then shipping off the same executable to multiple points within that network, you know, laptops, desktops, you know, whatever it is that might be connected and essentially creating a situation where they can encrypt the data at a multi-location dealership, you know, five to eight or eight to 12 months after the initial phishing link was clicked by somebody who's likely no longer at the dealership, right? So training, training, training to stop this kind of threat is the biggest source of value um, that that a dealership can look into. So FTC, is actually looking at all this over the next yes. 30, 60, 90 days. And how is this playing out as far as the dealership's responsibility to mm-hmm. report a breach? How does that all work? Okay. So um, as a part of the process associated with um, building the rules around these various regulations, there's a question and answer period, right? And we're in the midst of the question and answer period for a specific question, and and that is, um, or a specific requirement, and that is um, when, if... uh, a, and a, a breach occurs, what's the, what is the responsibility of the dealership to report that breach back to a central authority? And the central authority is going to vary, um, but it might be multiple central authorities. But the bottom line is they're talking about forcing or enforcing a rule um, that dealerships must report breaches. And um, the threshold associated with the, let's say, number of files compromised will be who knows it could be a thousand it could be five thousand it could be a hundred but we don't know at this point what that threshold will be but if you think about the environment as it's expanding the various data silos right from you know dealer service provider to dealer service provider to other users of that data suddenly a dealership really has zero or very little visibility into those various data silos that would allow them to truly report on a granular level, what files have been compromised. So they're gonna be out of compliance right from the get-go during a breach because they don't have the categorized data sets um, you know, in, a, in a system somewhere that allows them to essentially say, okay, um, you know, 1,500 of our CRM you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, clients and prospects have been compromised. So we need to report back to those 1,000 people and say, you need to change your password or you need to check and make sure that you're not being, your identity is being stolen, you know, that kind of thing. You know, the standard sort of approach when a data breach occurs. And then, of course, they're going to have to think about, do we <laughs> offer things like um, ID protection, ID, you know, theft protection? You know, there's a whole plethora of, of legal items and services that can be provided in that particular moment. But the bottom line is, 
If you don't know what categories your various data sets fall into, how can you report that back? So it's, again, a gigantic effort is going to need to take place from a system level, database management level type of approach that allows that dealer the visibility into the various categories of, of data so that they can actually respond in a, frankly, a responsible manner. Because if you've got, you know, on average, a dealership has roughly 15,000 records in their dealer, dealer management system. Well, now, because of the expansion of that, of that liability associated with those various data sets, you're going to have to figure out it's 15,000 times the number of dealer service providers that are sharing that data, right? So it's, it is a gigantic effort that's gonna to have to be technology-based. And that's actually one of the biggest changes from the original GLBA and uh, safeguards rules is that things are much more digital in focus and how to manage the digital nature of how we do business in the automotive space today. Well, here's how I, 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 I see it. Many dealers, no, I'm not saying all, but they generally, they, they, they have a, a, a problem when it comes to the compliance piece and some don't react to that mm -hmm. like they should. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to really um, say this the right way. It's as if they go to the line and yeah. they, they, they want to make sure they don't necessarily cross over the line when it comes to compliance. But mm -hmm. I think sometimes they, we don't, we don't, we we're more um, reactive than proactive. Uh, that actually, I think that's a, a perfect way to say it. Um, you're right. It is reactive. Uh, so back in the day when I was designing, you know, compliance management systems for auto dealerships with uh, wow, it's an older company, Complete's out there, um, they basically uh, found that a lot of the dealers we were approaching were simply putting in money for line items for harassment. So if you could imagine, harassment was so ubiquitous that they essentially said, okay, you know, last year we got hit with a quarter million dollars worth of harassment claims. Let's make it $300,000 this year. They had no thought of being proactive and trying to prevent such a moment um, by establishing, you know, essentially a good faith compliance effort. Because um, if you have one of those, a good faith compliance effort in place, then you're much less likely to get hit with penalties and fines. Um, you may have to you know, pay for your legal expenses, but at the end of the day, an individual bad act no longer falls into the dealership's you know, liability pool. Um, so today, uh, that lack of proactivity is gonna burn them much as it did back in the, you know, the Wild West days when you know, harassment was a major problem. Um, but now you're looking at a, a completely different type of environment that's in, uh, information technology based and the solutions will come from that. It's not going to be um, uh, so much the manual processes as a well-trained individual who understands the threat, right, from ransomware, for example, um, that understands the threat, that when they see something that looks a little uh, problematic, then their first thought isn't necessarily to go ahead and click the link. Their first thought is, what is this? And then who do I send this to to check on it? And that's going to take the training that we're talking about. And that is proactive because again, 
Training, training, training will prevent over 85, 90% of the problems associated with fishing. It'll help essentially create the protections necessary that the FTC is trying to put in place. Um, it'll also help with the, the let's say, the, uh, the tidal wave of data-based data, let's say, centered types of re regulatory issues coming out of the states like California, Virginia, Colorado. Um, they're all essentially getting on this bandwagon of consumer data protection of sensitive and personal information that reduces the liability and chances of a data breach or the use of data in, an un, an, in a, in a non-compliant manner. Um, so ultimately, the dealer has a lot of different choices that have to be made here, um, but ultimately they're going to have to make them because if they're not proactive in this environment, it's going to come back to bite them on the butt. Um, and another area, if you will, that's going to be real, very important for a lot of dealers, possibly hundreds, thousands over the next few years, is the fact that the mergers and, act and, mergers and acquisitions activity, it's the highest it's ever been, Right. Yes. So if I'm a dealer and I'm essentially well positioned uh, for a larger player to come in and buy me out at multiples, <laughs> right, that they haven't seen ever, um, and they suddenly that that uh, the acquiring dealer group decides to do a due diligence on their IT systems and they find a whole bunch of gaps in their perimeter security, in their training and anti-phishing uh, 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 efforts, all of that's going to come back to a valuation that gets impacted, right? So right. that's a huge issue because a lot of the you know smaller um, dealers that are looking at second, third, fourth generation uh, children running them and sort of seeing the writing on the wall with respect to the long-term um, uh, challenges associated with now the FTC rules, with the way California is treating you, you know. And the fact is, if if you're a dealer group you might as well get compliant now with California's rules because you're it's the size of France when it comes to you know gross national product and the and if you're a multi a multi location dealer group and you're looking to expand California's a natural target so the the list of impacts associated with this non non proactive uh, uh, attitude is going to be so so damaging to dealer principles, their net worth, the value of their dealership in some form or another, whether it's through a mergers and acquisition or the fact that they're just hammered with a class action lawsuit along with 20 other dealer groups. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. The, the, list, the list of impacts that are coming not only from the FTC side, but also from the data, the consumer data management side out of California, the Consumer Protection Acts, um, it's going to be horrendous. And again, it's going to take a lot of effort and maybe some dealerships aren't up for it. And so they're seeing the writing on the wall saying, I want to put my dealership up for sale, but you better have your IT and cybersecurity house in order or your valuations will go down. No question. Well, if this doesn't wake anybody up, I don't know what else to say um, <laughs> at this point. That's for darn sure. I mean, it certainly brought this to my attention. So, Jim, what your services, your platform, what does that offer? How does that help a dealer to uh, to work with with what's happening here? Okay, so um, I built 
sensitive data protect uh, oh, about 11 months ago. Um, I saw, you know, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I designed compliance management systems and I, what I saw in the market space was a variety of single point solutions, a lot of vendors trying to all kind of come at the dealership at once. Um, and so I saw an opportunity to, to take a look at this and create what I believe is a good faith compliance effort around IT and cybersecurity. Um, and once you have that in place, that good faith effort in place, insurance companies will come to your aid because they view a, a well-rounded, comprehensive, and as I say, a good faith compliance effort as a valuable commodity that they are willing to reward dealerships by decreased premiums if they have in place a, you know, this set of, of protections uh, up against you know, ransomware and cyber attacks and all sorts of things that are currently emerging out of the, you know, the, 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 the dark web, <laughs> as they said. Um, so what we're trying to do is make a single point contact, single point of contact where we go in, do an initial assessment, which is free. That is, initial assessment takes, what we've done is we've cobbled together some black hat, black, excuse me, black hat hacker tools that when they do a drive-by of your URL, you know, your primary, maybe, you know, it's XYZ Auto Group, um, they'll check it and see if there's anything initially problematic that they can exploit, right? Mm -hmm. And so we do that to give you, that dealer or dealer group, a sense of what are some of the initial problems that you face and how do you stack up with, you know, an, your peers <clears throat> who, you know, also in the automotive space, automotive retail, and your peers in automotive retail, and I gotta say, you know, these assessments, and I'm not trying to scare anybody here, but every time, or nearly every time we do an assessment, we're finding significant challenges that are kind of dumb. They shouldn't be there. You need to protect your email server. You need to do stuff that, uh, you know that 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 deals with the EWS from Microsoft. You know, I mean, it's there's a whole lot of things that are out there that simply are overlooked because the stress and importance of other activities that are focused on the sales process, in most cases, take precedence over so many other things. And like you said, that that proactive versus reactive type of approach. The, this is one of those ways that we can establish a proactive defense that takes a look at your perimeter security, cybersecurity, and gives you a real sense, and again, for free, so that you can decide the next stages of your cybersecurity program. Because we have a path, a kind of map, that says, okay, we've done this initial assessment, we've found 10 items that you need to take a look at that have a medium to high risk. Um, in some cases, our insurance, our strategic insurance partners, and I'm talking about Lloyd's of London, Swiss Re, I mean, major, major players who provide cyber insurance are looking at this and saying, okay, we're not going to insure you because there are so many problems that we look at you like you're a potential problem and claim, <laughs> right? You're gonna, yeah. uh, that's it. But yeah. once you establish that good faith compliance effort after a few deeper dives, which goes into your DMS, your, you know, it checks for PCI data, for example, you know, the stuff that you keep around after you've taken a picture of somebody's credit card and you've attached that to a file and it's easily readable. You know, the list of items that can, uh, let's say, be problematic from a data management standpoint is endless. 
Anyway, so we have the ability to go through, do all of these assessments from the DMS, and then if we can dig into your third parties, although they'll probably be more likely to provide you with a report of some form. Um, but again, we're independent. That is, we're not going to be beholding to Cox or Reynolds or anybody of that ilk who are subject to the same rules that I've sort of described to, to you here today. So, you know, when you think about when they do a self-assessment and they share that report with you, it's like, you know, giving somebody who authorizes checks the checkbook. Well, you don't do that in accounting, right? You don't give that person who can write checks the uh, authority to also authorize those the writing of those checks. You want to split that up, right? And so as an independent provider of such assessments, we can give them an independent third-party review of their IT cybersecurity systems and decide, okay, there are gaps, there are problems. Um, you're going to have to go back to your third-party dealer service provider and say, okay, I need you to fix these you know, three problems with my website, or maybe it's 10, or in some case, 36. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of what dealerships are facing right, right now. They've got, let's say they have providers, service providers that are, uh, that have their own agenda, not necessarily in the best interest of the dealership. They know that some of this stuff is coming down the pike. They're hoping that that lack of proactivity will play into their particular, let's say, areas. Um, <clears throat> they won't have to review or renegotiate contracts that indicate the protections that they need in light of the new FTC rules. They're also thinking, okay, what services can I provide? Well, if they're not independent and they're providing you with reports that say, hey, we're scot-free, we're, we're looking real good, how do you trust that? It's something that needs to be kind of expressed uh, out there because it is a problem. Um, and the list of, of those types of items and challenges goes on and on as you go through that process. And so for my company, single point of contact, establish a good faith compliance effort that strateg our strategic insurance providers, or frankly, any insurance provider, any PNC provider will look at and say, oh, wow, okay. Clearly, when we originally insured you, ransomware was not as big a problem or cybersecurity was not a biggest problem five years ago. But today, it's a major issue. So we noticed that you've just established a good faith compliance effort associated with your cybersecurity. We're going to maintain you know, today's premiums or we're not going to hammer you with a 10x expansion of those premiums, right? So right. that's the kind of value we can bring to the table. And at the end of the day, we can help with the training piece, right? Through partners and people with the right content um, and information that they can provide our uh, common clients so that they can then say, you know what? I put in place a good faith compliance effort and the likelihood of getting hammered during a class action or even in an individual action is much less. And even then, if it does occur, the penalties will be significantly reduced. And we've, I've seen that you know, personally with dealerships um, that faced certain issues back in the early aughts, mid aughts, um, you know, with the uh, consumer and uh, individual complaints of harassment, where they get into a court and the court sees that the dealership has established this good faith compliance effort and decided that there'll be no penalties associated with it. In one case, over $106,000 was avoided, you know, in terms of penalties because they had put in place the right systems, the right training, the right tracking and the right reporting to make sure that everybody was on the same page. And well, we can do I that just feel security. 
I'm sorry. Sorry, Jim. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, no, that's okay. Oh, I'm just saying that that when you when you when I look back on that experience and saw how the legal system truly values a, a good faith effort at trying to fix a problem, they're not going to penalize you. It's not in their nature because they're seeing that you're trying to do good as a corporate, you know, as a corporate citizen. You know, you're trying to do good and you're trying to fix these problems. You're not going to get hammered, right? You're not going to get hammered like right. some other guy who's like you know, security by obscurity <laughs> um, or that person that wasn't proactive on the training or that that dealership that that felt it was OK to leave, you know, text based consumer information, uh, sensitive consumer information, you know, in a notes pay in a notes section of their profile. I mean, the list of items goes on and on that can happen. But if you put the system in place using sensitive data protect my company, um, we can help you across the board all the way to the point of getting better insurance rates and lower uh, lower premiums that to me just only makes all the sense in the world to do um why not why work harder when you don't have to you know it's just so much smarter so jim in closing is there anything else you'd like to share to our listeners and or dealers about you know really doing what they can to to uh, reduce their their liability when it comes to these cyber attacks, uh, ransomware, okay. et cetera, you know? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things that they can do, that dealers can do, is go back to their dealer service providers, their DMS, CRM, warranty, et cetera. They can go back and ask them to please review the nature of their access control. Now, um, one of the things that's falling out of all of this activity around uh, the safeguards rules and elements like that is because they, the, the federal authority is now asking dealerships to maintain a, uh, uh, a higher level of security through access control. So in the past, it was role-based, right? So if I'm a, a director of, of BDC, for example, um, I see everything that a director role sees in that particular CRM instance, for example. Um, well, now what this federal authorities are asking these dealer service providers to do is to reformat, reconfigure, to re-architect the nature of access database, consumer data access control to a more purpose-based approach. And by that, I mean the purpose specific to an individual's sharing of that data. So if I go into, you know, I've got, I'm going in to get some warranty work done. Well, that's a purpose, right? Well, in the past, the guy that was able to see that would be not only the service director, but also the service manager, possibly the individual service provider, you know, the individual mechanic. Um, there would be, of course, multiple roles able to see that because they don't have the granularity of access control to essentially say, okay, we only need to let you know let this person that's managing the warranty see that the rest of these people don't need to know my geolocation or you know whatever whatever data that was necessary to get that um, that that warranty service performed right it's fundamentally different than what it's been for the last well 20 years and in the software industry since ad infinitum since the beginning right so right. that's going to be the probably the strongest thing that dealers can do is ask these service providers to really take a look at access control and how to make it more purpose-based or, you know, 
um, matrix, where you have a matrix of purpose-based access control with role-based access control. The complexity for your average software product manager is going to be nightmarish, but that's their job. It used to be my job. Uh, so I know the nature of that particular effort, and it's going to be huge, and it has to start today because this stuff's coming down the pike. It's not going to stop, and it's going to get worse because you've got states like California, and as California goes, so goes the nation. You're going to see more and more of this level of granularity necessary to do what the regulations specify that you do. Well, Jim, thank you so much um, again for all this um so for all this information um, today, um, it's certainly it's a it's a bit overwhelming, but it's so important that dealers wrap their your embrace um, what's what's taking place here. So um, to help dealers as well, um, they may be able to contact you, and certainly feel free to contact me as well. Um, and what would be the best contact for you, Jim? Oh, okay. Um, well, email or phone. So my email address is sdpcompliance. Oh, excuse me. It's let me let me. Let me it's Jim Lawrence at sdpcompliance.com, and my phone number is five zero three three one eight three six two one. And feel free to call anytime. Uh, text, phone, seven days a week. Not a problem. been listening to Make Your Evanite Profit Stick with Becky Chernick. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating or review wherever you're listening right now. And don't forget to share to Facebook or your favorite social media platform. Keep in mind, I offer the very best in in-dealership or remote Evanite training since 2001 for automotive, recreational, and allied industry professionals. Get all your managers on the same page and make those Evanite profits stick.